Christ is risen. Ah, amen. It's funny, we have these sayings, right? What if I tried this one out? God is good and all the time. Amen. Clap. Wow. Ha-ha. So, what is the meaning of Easter? I mean, what do you think we are celebrating today as we've sung these songs and watched these videos? We started off with That's My King and then heard, heard what we have. What do you think we've been celebrating this whole week that is often called Passion Week? Why do even some celebrate this idea of Lent, 40 days of denying oneself something? Like Christmas here in the West, Easter is considered one of the holiest days on the Christmas calendar, yet also a holiday that is increasingly celebrated in purely secular fashion. According to Christian Scripture, as one website that I read this week said it, here's how they describe it. Easter commemorates the day when Jesus Christ was resurrected, making a, it a particularly important day of recognition for those who purport to believe in Christ's divinity. Here's what they go on to write. As a result, now this is the world's view of us. Many fair-weather Christians who do not ordinarily go to church can often find the motivation to attend services on Easter Sunday, making it one of the most crowded and, listen to this now, this is the world, ostentatiously well-dressed days for parishes and churches across Canada. However, the secular celebration of Easter is so far removed from Christianity, a lot of children grow up unaware the two are even related. In the non-religious version of Easter, Easter is a mere celebration of things associated with spring, although I don't know if they've lived in Newfoundland, including daffodils and bunnies and baby chicks and rolling hills of fresh green grass. Many kids celebrate it by getting gifts of special seasonally-themed candies from the Easter Bunny, a mythical creature who is basically the spring version of Santa Claus. And by hunting for decorated Easter eggs that he has hidden around the house or the backyard. The website goes on to say Easter is celebrated on wildly different days in either March or April since its schedule is based on the spring equinox, which is the day when the sun passes the earth's equator. In addition to Easter itself, Canada also recognizes that Friday that we just commemorated called Good Friday, a statutory holiday in most provinces that commemorates Christ's crucifixion. And beyond a special church service for the devout, there are no real traditions associated with it. Now, here's what got me when I was studying this week. But in Canada, Halloween celebrations have continued to get bigger and bigger every year to the point that it is now said it is the country's second biggest holiday after Christmas in terms of consumer spending and public participation. So Calvary Baptist, friends and visitors, though both here and online, let me ask again, what is Easter? If the world's view is fair 
And if they are calling us fair-weather Christians, can I ask us as a largely group of professing Christians here today, what do we honestly think of this? So here in my sermon, here's what I want to get across today on this Easter Sunday of April of 2023. Let me say it clearly. Jesus Christ is the only God-man to have ever lived. And he lived with power and authority over everything and everyone. Not only to have the power to provide Easter, but Jesus and only Jesus has the power and authority to give Easter and keep Easter for those who are his by believing in him. In the Old Testament, David wrote in Psalm 24, one thing I seek to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 5, the choir of untold number of Christians of every tribe and nation and tongue and kindred will say this, worthy is the Lamb. Amen? So this Easter of 2023, what is most beautiful to you about our God? As you take a moment right now in the quietness of your seat, as you ponder it from wherever you are in life, from whatever country you were born in and raised, regardless of your traditions, regardless of your background, what is beautiful to you about God? What, is, what about Jesus is most compelling to you or more comforting to you? What worship fuels you to worship God? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Steve, I'm just here because... I want to know God or meet him, then I want you to know, by God's grace, you're in the right place. You see, Blair just read for us Matthew 28, the last chapter of that first gospel of the New Testament. And oh my, what a chapter of God's word it is, isn't it? But as he was reading it, what jumped out to you? For some of you, as I was listening to Blair read it, it might have been the sheer blindness of the world. Here he was, Jesus dying, all the miracles and everything he did, and yet the world, often, most of the world refused to even see it. Maybe for others, you saw the hope and the commission of those disciples. Maybe others still wondered about the doubt that they had. Do you remember that part where he said, and many worshiped, but some doubted? I've often put myself with that group. Maybe others were reminded of the lies of religion, when they concocted this plan and they said, look, we can't stop the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. We can't stop the fact when the soldiers came to admit that he was gone, they still came up with a story. And when, when he read, when, when Blair read that it's still spoken to this day, do you realize just this past week, if you're our Twitter followers, there's this parody, this Christian parody Twitter account called Babylon B. And they actually made a parody video of this with the idea of the disciples getting together and they were going to plan Christianity. And so they get together and Peter as the ringleader says, here's guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to overcome all these soldiers and we're going to roll that stone back and we're going to steal the body of Jesus and we're going to hide it. And then the other guys ask, especially John, says, so, and then what? And then he goes, and then we're all going to die for our lie. Yeah, let that kick in. That's how foolish it is. These guys 
were willing to concoct the greatest lie on human history so they could die for it? Nobody would do that. It's never been done before. It'll never be done after. This is what you and I need to see. But for me, when Blair was reading Matthew chapter 28, it was these words. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as a result of that authority, ipso facto, that power, he looks at those disciples and says, under that authority, with that power, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say to them, go and hopefully you'll make disciples. It's an assertive command, a command that Jesus knows there will be results for. And you are to teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I want you to hold on to these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if you got a Bible or you grab one of those pew Bibles, go and open it up to John chapter 17, verse 2. John chapter 17, verse 2. Even though it's Easter Sunday, I want to talk about what is the real meaning or the true meaning of Easter. And I believe we find it in the words of one verse. It's the second half of a sentence. The first sentence that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sorry, just before he gets there as he's crossing through the Kedron Valley with his disciples. And Jesus says these words, since you, being God the Father, have given him, that's God the Son, Jesus is talking about himself, authority, now watch this, over all flesh, over all flesh to do what? To give eternal life to all, not most, not some, to all whom you, God, have given him, Jesus Christ. One man writes, we have here the prayer of one who spoke as never man spoke. He prayed as never man prayed. This is the prayer of the second person of the Trinity to the first person of the Trinity, the Father. It is the prayer of one whose office it is as our high priest to make intercession for his people. And John chapter 17, verse 2, is the prayer recorded in John 17, gives a reason for Jesus' request. That is found in verse 1. Look at the last of verse 1. He wanted to get the glory that his Father had, that they would share it. And the reason is that the glorification and the authority over all flesh already granted to him go together. So what does that mean? As I read this verse, the part that strikes me most is the repetition, did you notice, to give or given. It occurs twice here in verses 1 and 2. The Father's gift to Jesus is the gift of power or authority over all flesh and the gift of a people. I want you to catch this because this is the meaning of Easter. It occurs once of Christ's gift of eternal life to those whom God has given him. And as we study this verse, you're going to want to see that these three are connected. It's the very heart of the relationship of the Son to the Father and both God the Father and God the Son to us in salvation. So you see this is what it means. The real meaning of Easter is this. 
Jesus lived and died. He is and was the only one who had both the power and authority to live and die for us. When we watched that video on Friday night, for those of you that came Friday night, called The Gospel, I want you to stop and realize you don't have a gospel without both Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You don't have a resurrection if you don't have a crucifixion. And you wouldn't have had a crucifixion if there wasn't the assurance of a resurrection. One cannot deny the crucifixion or the resurrection to be a Christian. You can't pick and choose. As one man said, you might as well eat steak and brisket and call yourself a vegetarian. It makes no sense. So folks, listen. Both the empty cross, and hear me when I say this, with all due respect to those of you that think that we need to see crucifixes with Jesus still on it, to me that is to demean his power and his authority. It is an empty cross as well as an empty tomb, and it's no metaphor. It is the historic event that changed and still changes the world. Amen? And I want us to drive into this, and I pray it will encourage you and empower you and impress upon us all. Not only the meaning of Easter, but more importantly this. Have you trusted in Jesus' power and authority? See, it's no good to sing about it. It's no good to read about it. It's no good to just come to church and hear about it if you don't trust in Jesus' power and authority. And for every Christian here today, I want to ask you this question. Are you resting in Jesus' power and authority? Are you resting in it? I want you to realize, number one, if you're taking notes, number one, this verse tells us that Jesus has authority and power over Easter. If you want to understand what does Easter mean, you have to start with Jesus is the one with the authority and power over it. Again, look at our passage in John 17. The basis of Jesus' glory prayed about in verse 1 is the authority granted over all people in verse 2. And that's why I had Blair read Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth. In the Great Commission, it refers to the universal cosmic authority, especially Jesus' authority over life and, get this now, and judgment. Watch this. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this to the crowd. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And this, by the way, is what God told Daniel all the way back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to these words that were spoken over 700 years before Jesus said these words. Daniel wrote, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, why? That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
You see, I think so often the problem in the Canadian church, in our church, in the churches across this continent, is we have this Bible, few of us ever read it, or we read it and we assume what it says, and we never truly take the time to realize what the words we are reading mean. We talked a lot about Jesus' glory last Sunday, but verse 2 helps us understand what this glory means. You see, when Jesus said, Lord, I want my glory that you have, and I want us to share it together, before his incarnation, before Jesus became a human being, I want you to get this. Jesus possessed the glory of God in two senses, all right? He possessed the fullness of God's attributes and character in the inward sense. In other words, inside, he was God, but he also possessed the fullness of God's outward, visible glory, And so when Jesus was born of a virgin, born as a baby through Mary, and when the Holy Spirit came upon her, in that big word we use, the incarnation, Jesus laid aside that outward visible glory. If he not, we wouldn't have been able to approach him. That's why my pastor friend who's a Jew in Tel Aviv, and he pastors a church there, he says, in the Old Testament, there's the God you can see. There's the God you can't see, and there's the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ is the God we can see. But even though he was human, he still retained God's glory in the first sense, in his inward sense. And that's why in the transfiguration and other moments when the disciples were privileged to see God, just give them a glimpse of his godness. And you know what happened every time someone saw it? They ended up on their face. You don't get all casual and familiar with a holy, holy, holy God. Now here he is at the end of his earthly ministry in John 17 on the verge of his crucifixion. And then Sunday comes and his resurrection and he prays with his disciples as they're on their way to Gethsemane that he might again enter into this visible glory. And why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, both his glory and his authority in verses 1 and 2 are followed by something. A glorified Jesus and an all-powerful, authoritative Jesus means that you and I can have something. Jesus sought glory so that he could return to the glory of his Father. He sought authority so he could bestow eternal life on us, his followers. So we got to have a life and a death and a resurrection. And now we have a living glorified, authoritative, powerful Jesus. So when he says, I save you, you are saved. Someone say amen. Amen. Please. And while Jesus' authority exceeds everyone, whether you are saved or unsaved alike, here's the truth of the matter. Like Jesus' words from John 5, whether you're here this morning or you're out in St. John's and you're an unbeliever, you will feel the power of Jesus. But I stand here in full openness and transparency. You are going to feel it in the power of his judgment. And for believers, if you respond to Jesus, you will feel his power in redemption that produces life. The cross is the moment of special glory when it comes about in the atoning sacrifice that brings life. This is why the Apostle John would write so many times when Jesus uses that word that we're all afraid of and so confused about, election. 
You see, it's seen, election is seen in those who have been given him. But it's also seen in those who respond in a faith decision who become the special people of God. So Calvary, listen, there is no greater gift. There is no more appropriate gift. There is no more satisfying gift for Jesus than this. And that's the gift of the church. While we are trying to buy clothes and pastels and Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and trying to figure out what to give our kids, Jesus says, I stretch forth my hands so you could be given to me the greatest gift of Easter of all. You see, the reason we give gifts is because we're actually imitating the image of God. God is the one, the gift of life. He gave the gift of his son, John 3.16. Jesus has given authority, and he's given another gift. You. If you have believed on Christ as your Savior, you should know that you are one who has thus been given to Jesus before the foundation of the world about whom he was thinking and receiving comfort as he prayed and as he suffered and as he died. So when the old song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind, that's not make-believe or hopefulness, that's reality. So why? Why? Why is this important? An empty tomb tells you that God will unleash his infinite power for the internal good of his children. His power becomes our power. Because Jesus has authority and power, well, what's the alternative? If there is no God, then there is no higher law. And if there is no higher law, then there is no basis for moral outrage about anything. So what are you left with? Look around you in 2023. That's what you're left with. All that's left is your feelings versus the feelings of those who disagree with you. It's a constant tension tennis match of the who's right and who's wrong. It's the ultimate follow your heart culture that we live in. It's either good advice or terrible advice, and it all depends on the state of the heart in question. But Calvary, listen, here we see that God's glory is nowhere revealed more than in the face of Jesus. Think about it. Think about it when I say it. The face of Jesus. All through the New Testament, have you realized it? It's the face of Jesus that represents and reveals all of God to us. And as Jesus now lives and reigns in heaven with power and authority, it will once again be Jesus' face that shines and shows us the the image of the invisible God. Have you ever realized how often in the book of Revelation, John dedicates describing Jesus to us? At the cross, by the way, the attributes of God that we all love to put on our coffee mugs and our t-shirts and our plaques in our home are actually shined the most vividly and clearly at Calvary. Think about it. God's wisdom and his mercy, his goodness and his justice, his grace and his love, his patience and his wrath, and many, many more are all set up on that hill called Golgotha. It was through Christ that God shows himself to be something, not only to be both just, but the justifier of anyone who has faith in Jesus. And how? Because of God's authority and power. 
See, God showed his wisdom in defeating Satan through Christ's weakness. And I want you to catch this now. This hit me this week, and I couldn't wait to share it. In the death of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, death, sin, and Satan are defeated. But do you realize that's when Jesus was at his weakest? Not at his strongest. In his godness, he had laid aside his outward visible glory. In his humanity, he had been denied and betrayed and persecuted and whipped and beaten and suffered and scorned and crucified and whipped. He was at his utmost weakest. And in his weakest, Satan took his best shot at him. The world took his best shot at him. And Jesus at his weakest, when God the Father would put all of the sin of humanity upon him and God the Father would turn his face from him in his weakness, God. still allowed Jesus Christ to be stronger than sin, Satan, and death. So if Jesus at his weakest is stronger, what do you think he's like now when he's all powerful and all authority? Yes, praise you, Nawaz, for waving a hand. Somebody wave a hanky. Do something. The devil thought he won for two days. And then the third day came. And so not only does Jesus have the power to provide Easter, Jesus has the ability to give us Easter. Since Jesus has all power and authority, we've got to start asking, what does that really mean? Mark Jones in his book, The Prayers of Jesus, which is a great little book, reminds us, he says this, the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God does not receive authority. He possesses it infinitely and unchangeably. How? By divine right. What Jesus prays in John 17, 2 shows us Jesus acknowledging where his power over all flesh comes from, God the Father. That's why in John 3, 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In John chapter 6, verse 32, 7, all that the Father has given me, Jesus says, watch this, will come to me. And whoever come to me, I will never cast out. In verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Then in John chapter 10, my father, Jesus says, who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, including you, by the way, is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. In John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Friends, Calvary, listen to this. This is why Jesus can provide Easter, and only Jesus can. It's why Jesus is the only way for humanity to be right with God. If you want to find God, if you want to have reason and purpose and value and identity, church, what do you think Jeremiah was saying when he heard from God these words. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. I love this. Is anything too hard for me? And yet how often, even today or this week, will we think, I don't know if God's got me. I don't know if God can help my marriage or save my kids or heal my body or give me strength to face suffering or allow me to lose a job or have financial hardship. You don't think, is anything too hard for God? But wait, herein lies some of our issues. Many times we use words like can or will or willingness and ability 
Friends, listen, all the religions of the world, every philosophy and mankind has ever thought up, every coping mechanism all wrestles with the idea of willing and able, with can and will. But John 17, 2 says, Jesus Christ himself praying says, I can and I will. I am willing and I am able. Yet herein lies the problem of the false application of trying to understand Jesus' power and authority. A dear friend of mine, a brother in Christ, I know, he and his wife have a child who is dealing with many, many health issues. Our culture likes to put names and labels on everybody and everything, so our culture calls this little boy a special needs child. He will never be whole from an earthly perspective outside of a miracle of God. My pastor friend Shane writes this, can or will? More than once, Cassie and I have received messages saying, you need to stop saying that God can heal your son Titus and start saying God will heal your son. As though my wording is holding God back and my faith is not strong enough to say will. This is where theology is not grounded in truth and it can be harmful. Shane says, I always intentionally say God can heal our son. Just because God can doesn't necessarily mean he will here on earth. Now he says, I believe Titus will be healed in eternity. The apostle Paul prayed for God to remove a thorn of flesh. However, as far as we know from scripture, God chose not to remove it. Why? Did Paul lack faith? No. Did he get his wording wrong in prayer? No. God was using it in Paul's life. Shane goes on to say, faith is not using right wording to manipulate God to do what you want him to. Faith is trusting that God can, but even if God is choosing not to, he has a will that is bigger and better than our hopes that he will. Faith is the ability to trust God even when you don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when he's not doing what you want him to because he has a will that is far more glorious than our will and may his will be done. What do you think Jesus meant when he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's not your will be done, Lord, as long as I agree with it or as long as it makes sense to me. Jesus' power and authority means our mission is not just a commission, it's a mission with a guarantee. If all authority and power are, are right and have been given to Jesus as promise, then we know that our witnessing will save people, our prayers will be answered, our works will be remembered, our pain will be relieved. This is what Acts 1-8 is all about. Remember what Jesus said? You will receive power. What? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus has the power to give it. He has the ability to provide it. And then Jesus gives us the assurance that Easter is for eternity. Friends, Paul Tripp says, at the center of the gospel is a risen, ascended, and reigning Savior. King Jesus is why your hope isn't in vain. But let me caution you here this morning. There is no repentance in the grave. And for those that have been 
presented with lately a doctrine that's making its way around this city and it is a doctrine from the pit of hell and from the mind and mouth of Satan himself. There is no such thing as universalism. There is no such thing that everybody will one day end up good with God. There is no repentance in the grave. There is no conversion after your last breath is drawn. Now is the time to believe in Christ and to lay hold of eternal life. We will learn much about this next week, I promise you. But Jesus prays and God gives life. It's eternal life. But eternal life, according to Jesus, is this. To know God, not live forever. That's why Spurgeon said, if you offered me heaven without God, I wouldn't want it. And if you offered me hell with him, I'd take it. You see? And let me just say this, because I know it's controversial in our city. But once saved, always saved, is not some get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a license to sin. Once saved, always saved, is a matter of worship, not deeds. It's a matter of trusting Jesus, not yourself. It's a matter of submission to the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Scotty Smith says, it is finished. It was created on a sad, scary, silent day. But it was a redemptive pause, soon to be broken with, he is risen. Jesus wasn't destined to get the last laugh on me evil. He was the emphatic yes to every promise of God. So the glory of eternal life, the fact that Easter is eternal, is the privilege to know and love God through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. Amen? All right, so what do you want to learn from this today? Listen, I want to plead with you to take one thing away from here. The gospel doesn't call us just from things, from sin, from death, from destruction. It also calls us to something. The gospel calls us to a relationship with God. It's a new love. It's to love others. It's a call to his church to be the bride of Christ. It's a call to his kingdom to be his army. It's a call to hope and to freedom and to peace and to victory, to a purpose, to a mission, to never look back. Christian, that, that is why Christ prays for us. On the ground level, believers are the world's best hope of seeing the glory of God. You and I, Jesus made the Father's glory comprehensible, and you and I are called to do that. We must be people of the Word, of the Bible, our most accurate source of knowledge about Christ. You don't go here to find God's Word. This is God's Word. We've got to meditate on the cross because it's the clearest demonstration of the love of the Father. We've got to spend time with those who know him so that their knowledge will pass on to us. In doing these things, you and I will experience the answers to the Savior's prayers. So church and friends and visitors, once saved, always saved, is true. And it's true not because of you. It's because of Jesus One saved eternal life is because God's glory demands it. His power and authority keeps it. And for those who worry, this means you're giving professing Christians a license to sin. No, no, it's a commission to worship. If you understand the gospel is I believe in God, therefore I can do whatever you want, then you don't understand the gospel. Imagine if that's how we thought about marriage or family or just about any other relationship. And fundamentally, we are back to what we mean when we say Jesus has all authority and power over what? You, me, and us? 
Don't forget this. The disciples were in awe that the winds and waves obeyed him. Demons were in complete submission to his power and authority. Disease couldn't stop him. Death couldn't keep him. The heavens can't contain him. That's my king. Now, Jesus has been exalted. He has been given that glory. Stephen the martyr sawed at the time of his martyrdom. John sawed when he broke the book of Revelation. Peter, Paul sawed, and it was so emphatic and amazing, he couldn't even write about it. Because anyone can say Christ is risen on Easter weekend. But will you and I live like Christ has risen every day? What a wonder to have a father who knows everything, can handle anything, who's full of love and patience and kindness, and in his purpose to glorify his son has included you and me in his family and in his inheritance. Is it no surprise that we want to worship him? Friends, there are two ways for you to respond to the authority and power of Jesus. And we've seen it since Satan tried to be God all the way back in the beginning. That is option one. I will be God. I will be like God. Or option two is, I will accept, submit, rest, and trust under his authority. You can trust in the power of Jesus. You don't have to manipulate Jesus. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to get on his good side. Have you ever wondered why the prompt psalmist said, I have hid, hid or I rest under the shelter or the shadow of his wing? Do you remember what Moses said back in Exodus 33? When he asked God if he could see him. Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, I will put between, put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Did you know that that verse is the motivation of the wonderful old hymn by Fanny Crosby, He Hideth My Soul? Blind from six weeks old, she could not see with her natural eyes, but she could see with her heart. She could not explain what a human face looked like, but she knew the face of God. From six weeks old, because of a surgical mishap, her life was different than most, but it was not worse than most. The gospel song was one of her favorites. She wrote more than 8,500 hymns. Like David in the wilderness, she sometimes felt alone and vulnerable. And in the words of scripture, she prayed, hide me. And she found Psalm 32, 7, you are my hiding place. But it is when she read Exodus 33, 22, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And here's what she wrote in her diary. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. Because I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. Instead, she said, a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. With numberless blessings each moment he crowns and filled with his fullness divine, I sing in my rapture, O glory to God for such a Redeemer is mine. 
And one day when clothed in his brightness, transported I rise to meet him in clouds of the sky. His perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. Why? Because he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. Oh, friends, listen. Will you accept And yes, even submit to the authority and power of Jesus. Too many in the church, we argue and bicker over words like election and predestination and chosen. The truth is, I cannot say who or who isn't elect, chosen, or predestined. Apart from this, your response to Christ. And by the way, neither can you. And herein is what I can ask and what I can say. If you're here this morning and you find a stirring of spiritual life within you so that you are becoming increasingly aware of your spiritual need and you are finding Jesus to be the one who is attractive to you as the Savior, and if you're saying, I need to turn to him, then it, be- then it is because these great gifts of God have already taken place where you are concerned and you are now being brought inevitably to Jesus. God has given you to him. Jesus is drawing you, so come to him and and find your Savior. But Christian, will you, will you stop with the hustle and anxious worry of thinking God needs you to inform him of what you need and what would be best? Mark 4 is there for a reason. We're reading through the Gospel of Mark in the month month of April. And in Mark 4, he says, the farmer, he weeds and he plants and he waters and he tills. And then he goes up and he doesn't look out the window. He goes to bed and he sleeps. Why? Because he can't make it grow. Only God can. So, husband and wife, pray for your spouse. Witness to your spouse. Moms and dads, pray for your children. Witness to your children. Sons and daughters, pray for your kids. Brothers and sisters, invite your family. Witness to them. Witness to the neighborhoods. Witness to St. John's. But then go home and go to bed because only God can save. But God will. There is a twofold giving of men by the Son, by the Father. One is eternal. In the purpose of his grace that is mainly meant here and the other is time. When the Father by his Spirit draws men and women to Christ. That's what Jesus meant in John 6, 44. All the elect are given from eternity past to the Son to be redeemed by his blood. But watch this. All the redeemed are in due time drawn by the Father to the Son to be kept for eternal life. So today is the day of salvation. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, today is the day to come to him. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, then submit and rest and trust in the power of Jesus Christ to provide Easter, the ability to give you Easter, and the assurance to keep Easter for eternity. So stop being anxious about being holy. Instead, look to the one who is and be like him. Oh, praise the name, right? Amen? Hey, listen, don't leave here. Please don't leave here. If God is drawing you to him, and Christian, leave here resting and assured in his goodness. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I am enormously overwhelmed to try and preach these wonderful and lofty truths 
of the Trinity. Father, the biggest test of my obedience to what I've preached comes in the next hours. Will I rest on your power and your authority to not impress these people, but to work in their hearts? Lord, if there's any man or woman that is here in this room that doesn't know you, oh God, would you give them both the courage and the incessant curiosity to ask, how do I know Jesus? And for Christians, may we rest today. May we trust in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns right now at your right hand, seated because it is finished. And Father, you delight to hear him. You are not an angry God. You are not an absentee Father. And so, Lord, on this Easter Sunday, may we praise the name of the Lord our God. Father, may we be different, not because we're better, but because you are great. And may we want to live that, live and trust on it, be transformed into it, and give it away to others. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say it.